I mentioned the idea of a map on a scale of two miles to a mile and what it might look like. And I can think of at least three ways in which we could construe this, the first two of which I'll mention only to leave, and the third of which I'd like to say a little bit more about. The first and perhaps most obvious one is that you could consider changing the scale of your observation so that although something might look like a mile, you could put some sort of microscopic uh, investigative material <clears throat> or instrument on it and blow it up to some new scale which would enable you to see a great deal more. And that would mean that you wouldn't need just two miles to a mile. You might need a thousand or a hundred thousand miles to a mile to contain all the information that you might get. So that's one. Another way would be, I suppose, quantum mechanical, uh, where we think of the world as a superposition of different states, only one of which we ever actually observe. And therefore you could say, well, if we gave a description of the world in terms of all its possible states, that would enable us to see what the possibilities were and that would mean that in addition to what we actually observed, there would be all the other things that we could have observed but didn't. So that would be the second, and both of these are interesting in their own ways. But the third is the one I'd like to talk about because it's relevant to what this series is about, which is the notion that the world that we see isn't the real world anyway. And I, I could mean that, and to some extent do mean that in the usual philosophical sense that the way our sensory apparatus and our intellectual apparatus present the world to us, in other words, the sense that they make of it, there's the theme, the sense that they make of it is very much determined by our human uh, physiology, uh, our human intellectual capacity, and by our traditions and our history and where we've got to in the latest versions of science and anthropology and everything else. So in one sense, the world is construed that way, but as well, most famously of all, perhaps Kant observed, the way the world is in itself, when it's not being observed, is certainly different from the way it is when it is being observed not in the silly sense that observing it changes it, but in the sense that observing it necessarily makes sense of it in a way that's different from whatever it might be in itself. And I don't have any uh, dispute with that distinction. But the very notion, however, that the way we make sense of it allowing for the fact that it's a function of our senses and our intellectual apparatus and our culture and our traditions, the way we make sense of it, even allowing for all those things, isn't as fixed as we think it is. And therefore, our map of two, three, four, however many miles to a mile, might well attempt to show us the different ways in which the world can be seen, even granted the limitations and the distortions and the features of our apparatus of every kind. And to think about this in very simple terms, I take us back to the omega number and the flipping of bits. When we first calculate 
a bit, it might, say, come out to zero. And then a subsequent bit will involve a carry that will flow back and will change the bit into a one. And it might stay there for a while, for a bit, so to speak. Ha ha. Uh, and then another carry will change it back to a zero and so on. And a lot of the other bits around it will similarly be changing. So the whole thing will be changing uh, in a way that we will only discover when we do the calculations. And the point that I'm making is that that bit is very much like the way we see the world. If you imagine the first time you encounter today, or the second or the nanosecond in which you are currently existing, that will give it a certain value. I don't mean value in the monetary sense, obviously, a certain quality, a certain characteristic or characteristics. So if we are prepared with the metaphor to say, all right, let's suppose that's our zero state, then the nature of the future will cause us to reconsider that, to see it differently, to re-evaluate it, to say, ah, well, what I thought was the case then isn't, in fact, what was the case, or it may have seemed to be the case, but if I'd looked more closely, or if I'd had the benefit of 2020 hindsight, which all of us, of course, do have, then I would have seen it differently. And so if I think about calculating, let's say, the 50th bit and it's a naught, the 51st bit changes it to a 1, the 52nd bit changes it back to a naught, and so on, I'm suggesting that today the world looks like A, come tomorrow or even in 20 minutes or 20 nanoseconds, if you like, it may look like B, and then it may look like C, and then it may look like D. And so the world as I experience it, even as I experience it, will take on different hues as I reconfigure it, recontextualize it, reinterpret it with the benefit of hindsight. And that's not because the way I got the world at the beginning was wrong in the sense of hopelessly wrong. It was the only way I could get it at that time, just like the calculations of the bits of omega. The first time I get to the 50th bit, it's bound to have a certain value, even though that bit will change. And the first time I get to the present, it's bound to have a certain value, certain characteristic, certain quality, if you like, even though that quality will change. And yes, I absolutely accept that I'm not going to spend the rest of my life contemplating 3.15 on Wednesday, the whatever it is, 7th of September. But during the course of my life, the significance of what happens on Wednesday, the 7th of September at 3.15 will alter. And so the sense that what it was then was one thing gives way to the notion that what it was then was, in fact, many things, and those things will gradually emerge over time. Now, in most of our experience, we don't dwell on the past, and neither should we. But the point that I'm making is that our present isn't just a sum of the past as we experienced it, but of the past as we re-experience it, reframe it, reinterpret it. And therefore, our present, even to the extent that it will in its turn change, 
is a function of a past that is not what we think it was and which didn't have the impact on us or the influence on us that we thought it did and indeed that wasn't what we thought it was. So if we were in a position to draw a map of the present of the world right now, it would need to be on a scale of many, many layers to one because this isn't possible, of course, but if it were possible, it would need to take account of all the changes to the way we would see the present or will have seen the present as the future unfolds. And the notion that the way we experience the present now has to be real, right and true is, I'm afraid, just nonsense, just like the bits of Omega that are what they are when we first calculate them, but which then flip. And OK, in that metaphor, they flip from naught to one to naught to one. So they're only ever going to be out 50% of the time, even if we guess. Whereas the way we construe the present may go through A, B, C, D, E indefinitely. But that's really not the point. And I hope that the weakness of the metaphor doesn't disturb you and doesn't distort the point that I'm trying to make which is that what we think of as the present is only apparently the present. And the way we see it, if we were so minded, would change repeatedly, perhaps indefinitely and endlessly, as we reinterpreted it throughout the future. And so the map on a scale of two to one or ten to one or a million to one or however many you like to one, in addition to its microscope, sense and in addition to its quantum mechanical sense also has this well let's call it this omega sense that it will be changed by the future and therefore we should be a little more circumspect about the way we react to it as it first appears to us to extend my rather facile metaphor if I don't happen to like zeros I might regret that I've just calculated a zero because I wanted it to be a, a one. Well, wait a while and it'll change. And that, of course, is a joke that they tell in some parts of the world about the weather. If you don't like the weather here, wait 10 minutes and it'll change. And so I'm trying to unmake the sense of the present that we have by saying that it will change. And when you immediately come back to me and say, just a minute, you've just spent something like 170 odd episodes telling us to live the present. And what you're now saying is that the, the present that we live isn't the real present or isn't the present as it will eventually come to seem if we wait long enough. How can we possibly do that? And the answer to that, I'm going to give it in a sentence and then do it in the next episode. The answer to that is that this is exactly what I think Dewey means by extracting as much of the experience of the present as we can. That instead of a superficial reading of the present, which just treats it as though it were a zero, we spend our time experiencing it and all the possibilities implicit in it as A's, B's, C's, D's, E's and so on, so that the experience that we have of the present is in fact the, is as rich 
as all those different ways of construing it, is as rich as a map that had 10 miles to a mile and so gave us much more detail than we normally hope or habitually see. Thank you for listening.